Good morning. My name is Mark McPherson. I'm the student minister here at our Louisville campus. And, and like Scooter said, happy Thanksgiving. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, we are in our sermon series, Ephesians, being immersed in a new identity. We actually are going to finish our sermon series today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at the whole armor of God. Um, and it's a privilege to, to be up on a Sunday and to look at this text. And so we're going to look at verses 10 through 24. And it says this in God's word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic power over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. That that uh, my words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak so that you uh, also may know that I, how I am and what am I doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Please bow your heads and pray with me. Father, I pray by your spirit you come and wrestle us. Challenge us and convict us and, and, and show us where we're weak and humble us. And God, I pray that you would equip us and you would strengthen us and embolden us uh, to walk in the spirit to walk for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to say it. God's favorite sport is wrestling. That's just what it is, okay? God's favorite sport is wrestling. God, this is the second time in Scripture we get to see this word wrestle. Uh, uh, he wrestles in Genesis with Jacob, and we're wrestling here in this passage today. And if you don't know your Bible, in Genesis 32, the, the, the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, comes and wrestles with Jacob and has this epic wrestling match. And he, he wrenches his hip and, and he walks differently and, and he's weakened by it. And God loves wrestling because wrestling is more than just two people fighting. Wrestling is the battle of two wills. It's the battle of two wills and who will submit to, what, to whose will. And God is trying to wrestle with all of us by his spirit, that we'd come under his will and he would change our very identity. That's what he does with Jacob. He wrestles Jacob and he changes his name to Israel. And Jacob says, I've seen God face to face. God wrestles with Jacob not to show his might or God's power, but he wrestles with Jacob to show Jacob his weakness. And so my question for us today, church, is are we wrestling? Are we wrestling with the will of God? Are we being confronted by our own weakness? 
Are we choosing to submit to the will of the Lord that our identities might be changed by him? Are you wrestling? As I look at the passage today, I just want to break it down into three easy spots. One, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Then we have to see how we put on the whole armor of God as we're called into warfare. We have to put on the whole armor of God. And then lastly, that we'd walk in the spirit. So we wrestle, we put on the whole armor of God, and we are to walk in the spirit. And so verses 10 through 13 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all, to stand firm. Do you know what the definition of wrestle is? The definition of wrestle or wrestling is to engage in deep thought. To wrestle is to engage in deep thought. You didn't think I was going to say that. I coach wrestling for 10 years, so I, I coach a lot about wrestling against flesh and blood. But this is not what Paul is telling us, that we are going to wrestle against spiritual darkness. So we're going to wrestle against this, this evil, these cosmic powers of present darkness. And as you're called into Christianity, if you are a Christian, do you know that you're called into a warfare? That you're called into a fight? Do people around you see you as someone known for their inner peace, but also for their inner warfare? Are you known for, for walking a Christian life that has peace, but also you deal with struggle and warfare? Paul's ending this letter and wrapping up the book of Ephesians, and he writes, finally, and then gives us this beautiful passage, this famous passage on how to equip us for warfare. If you ever received a letter from me or email from me, I write sincerely and I send it. Paul, Paul is saying, hold on, let's take all of this and let's, let's build and equip the saints to be ready for warfare. And what Paul is saying at the end of this, this amazing letter is stand firm. That the warfare you're in, that the armor of God that you are to put on is to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, is to stand firm. Paul is saying at the end of this that your identity is your defense. Ray Lewis was, was a, a famous NFL linebacker. who's also a two-time state champion wrestling in the state of Florida. He would always say defense wins championships. Paul's equipping us to be defensive against, against the winds of evil, against the waves of chaos in this world, that we are just to stand firm. We are to stand firm. And as a Christian, you are called into spiritual warfare from the schemes of the devil to the darkness in this world and in the darkness within our very hearts. The darkness inside of all of us. See, we are at war with evil. We are at war with the schemes of the devil. And that is a real thing. And as soon as we talk about spiritual warfare, we as Christians, we tend to go one or two ways. We tend to go one or two ways. We, we tend to get either too paranormal. 
Like, we think the devil is in all of our business. We think the devil, you know, I was going to go on a mission trip, but then our plane got canceled. The devil was all over that. Or, or I was supposed to go to church this morning. I spilled coffee on my pants, and the devil was trying to stop me from going to church. And we get too paranormal. And then there's also a side of us that says, he's not existing at all. He, we don't worry about him at all. The devil is active. He is active, but the, the root of the devil's evil, the main way the devil attacks all of us is through lies in our hearts. The very lies in our hearts that we hold on to and we cultivate. That is the devil's main root of evil. That way, that's what he's always been doing. A.W. Tozer wrote this, Satan won't leave fangs in your flesh, but lies in your heart. Satan won't leave fangs in your flesh, but lies in your heart. Satan wants to distort your very thoughts in your heart about who God is. And as he distorts your beliefs on God and how you believe in God, that would change how you feel about God and how you think about God, and that would change the way you act in your life. Your beliefs Determine your behavior, and Satan is, is after your beliefs in God, and that's what he's been doing since the garden. That was his main tool in the garden. He comes to Eve, and he says, he says, surely you will not die. God knows that if you eat of this apple, you will have the knowledge of good and evil, and you will be like God. And he's trying to distort what they believe about God. He's trying to get them to believe the lie that we all believe today, that God doesn't have our best interest in heart, and he doesn't care for us. And that's what we all have in our hearts, the sin in our hearts. We all believe that lie. And we act on that lie all the time. A good example of this deep-rooted thing coming out is when's the last time you were impatient with someone? When's the last time you called someone an idiot? When's the last time you just rolled your eyes at someone and dismissed them? What you're saying is, I am God. I know the difference between right and wrong. I, I know we all do this because uh, to, to some extent, all of us are in traffic. If you're in traffic, you're doing this. I was, I was leaving uh, the parking lot, and I was making a right onto the street, and this lady was making a U-turn, and, and we, almost, we almost hit. And, and she went, and I went, and I thought, And I came back to the church, and I'm talking to Scott, and I'm talking to BJ, and, and BJ goes, you were wrong. She had the right away. She's making a U-turn. You're making a right. I said, no way. I got the, it's a one way. I'm making a right. He said, no, you were wrong. I was the idiot. But I already wrote her off. I already said, this, this poor, and I was so arrogant that I didn't call her an idiot. I said, this poor lady. <laughs> this poor lady. And I was the one in the wrong. I was the one the wrong. I was the one who believed I was God. I was the one who thought I had right and wrong. And I was in the wrong, and we do this all the time. We do it when we're anxious, when we're crippled by anxiety. We believe the lie that God doesn't have our best interests at heart. When we believe we're God, we take power and control into our own lives, and we try to write out our lives and do it by our will. And when God doesn't get it right, he doesn't care for us. God, you can't even get my day right. God, you can't even execute my plans. And we believe the lie. 
we believe the lie that God doesn't love us and he doesn't care for us, and that's deep-rooted in our heart. And as Christians, we're called to go to warfare against those very lies in our hearts. As Christians, we are to walk every day, every morning getting up, knowing that we're about to walk into spiritual warfare. And we have to choose whether we're going to live under the truth or live under the lie. There's a song by this, this band called Citizens, and they have a song called Strength and Beauty. It's one of my favorite songs. And, and he has this line in there. He says, hatred taken over our eyes, and we defend it. There's hatred pulled over our eyes by Satan, and we defend it. We hold tight to it. And that's what Paul is equipping us to, to battle with, to go war against, the lies in our hearts that we defend. Paul wrote this earlier in Ephesians 5, that we be people who walk in light. Ephesians 5, 8 says this, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk in the light. Fight against the darkness. The lies of the devil, the darkness in this world, and the darkness in our very hearts. And to do that, we have to put on the whole armor of God. And so as we go into the armor of God and what is it and how we put it on, it's really just to be walking in the truth of, of who Jesus is, walking in the light, submitting to God's will. And just so you know, when you go into war, you put on armor before you go to battle. Some of us are in battle and we're not putting on an armor. God's patient with us. He'll be patient with you in your trial and your warfare, and you'll be able to put on the armor. But this is for us now to practice, to soak in, so that when it comes, when the trials come, we are prepared for warfare before the battle. And so first Paul says to put on the belt of truth. To fight lies, the first thing you need to do is know the truth. And so Paul says, put on the belt of truth. And so as we look at this, all these armors, you have to think of like an old Roman soldier. And this belt of truth would be this giant leather belt that would go around their gut. It would go around their stomach. And, and it holds all the other pieces in place, right? The, 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 the belt would hold the sword. It would hold the breastplate. It would keep the robe uh, nice and short so they can run. It's the centerpiece. It's the foundation. And Paul is writing this very structurally, very on purpose, uh, in, in an order to say this is what needs to happen. First, you need to put on the belt of truth. The truth is to be our center, the deepest part of who we are, and it's to protect us, protect our innermost parts, and to be our instinct. As Christians, we are to be thinkers. Wrestling is engaging in deep thought. We are to be thinkers who constantly bring the truth of the gospel into our gut instinct. That as we respond against the world, we respond in truth. What is truth? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says to Pilate, he says, whoever are people of truth, they follow me. They listen to me. And Pilate says, what is truth? Jesus is the truth. The truth is, is that we are all sinful. We believe the lies of Satan. And there's sin in our hearts and we act on it. And sin deserves death. But the truth of the gospel is that Jesus came down and lived a holy and perfect and righteous life. He did everything the Father wanted him to do. He spoke only when the Father told him to spoke. He had no sin, yet he willingly took our place on the cross to die for our sin. And after three days, he rose from the grave, defeating sin, Satan, and death, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. That's the truth. 
And that truth we are to press into our innermost parts, to bring to our gut instinct that as we respond in this world, we respond in truth. The truth would be our instinct that we'd operate in faith. Faith in Christ and what he's done for us. This is what Jesus means in Luke 8. When the disciples are on the boat and the boat's going crazy and they say, Jesus, we're perishing. Their instinct is to believe the lie. Jesus, you don't care for us. We're going to die. And Jesus doesn't say, your faith is so small. And he doesn't say, your faith needs to be greater. But he says, where is your faith? And as we look at that today, we should know you could be so close to Jesus, but your faith not be in him. He needs to be the object of our faith. That we know he cares and loves for us and he proved it on the cross. He's our instinct, the truth. And Paul continues that we are to put on the breastplate of righteousness. This breastplate of righteousness. This word righteousness is a relational word. It means to be right with. That you're right in the eyes of someone. That you're right with them in the eyes of someone. In, in Romans 10, 2, and 3, it says this, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. When Adam and Eve fell, they stitched together fig leaves so they could be seen by God. And today, we still stitch together our own righteousness that we could be presentable in front of God. We still do this. We do this in our politics, stitching together all the information that will be made right. We do this in our families, presenting the best side of us. We do it on social media. We do this with our finances. We do this morally, that we're good people. And we're stitching together a rightness that we could be right in front of God. Stitching together our own righteousness, but a righteousness that's built on Christ Jesus is the breastplate of righteousness that is a passive righteousness. It's a righteousness you can only receive. It's his life for yours. It's it's the great exchange that on the cross, Jesus bore all of our sin. And he gives us his perfect and holy and righteous life. That anyone, will, anyone can receive it. His hands are wide open, so open they nailed him to a cross. And that anyone who would come to him, he embraces them and he covers them in the breastplate of righteousness. You are judged by his life and not your own. And Paul's telling you to put on the breastplate of righteousness because this righteousness gives you an alien confidence. That you're judged on the life of Christ and not your own. And that confidence is, is meant to battle against guilt and shame. And if you're walking in guilt, if you're walking in the shame of your life, know that you're not judged on your life by the, by, by the righteousness of Christ. You are to put that on and it will give you a confidence. The Christian faith is not that you live a righteous life and when you die, you give it to God and see if you get to get into heaven. But the Christian faith is that Christ came down and lived a perfect and holy and righteous life and he offers it to you. And we are to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Paul continues, and he says this in verse 15, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, I think the King, the King James or the NIV says the sandals of peace. 
that we are to put on the sandals of peace for the readiness that you can go out into the world and be ready at any given moment to have peace, to be the peace of God, that you would be ready to be in those places. I think of, I think of when I think of the sandals of peace, I think of like, I think of like a boxer or when I put on my wrestling shoes. All of, a sudden, all of a sudden, I'm as light as a feather, but I have grip. And that's what the sandals of peace are. We all want the peace of God. All of us want the peace of God. Some of y'all do it by going to yoga. Some of you ironically do that in the gym. Some of us, I know my wife, my wife just had a birthday. She just wants 90 minutes in a massage. That's it, 90 minute massage. That's her peace of God. My peace of God is a pint of haagen on the couch. Peace of God, that's all I want. And we all want the peace of God, but if we really want to have the peace of God ready, Wherever we go in any trial, we have to know that the peace of God comes with having peace with God. The peace of God comes from having peace with God. And when you know you have peace with God, well, you'll be is spiritually athletic. You'll be spiritually athletic. What does that mean, spiritually athletic? To do that, I have to bring up two people. One is John Mayer. John Mayer is a famous musician. He has a song called Gravity. Gravity, working against me. Gravity, always trying to bring me down. That's a great physical way to describe the spiritual darkness that he's dealing with. Gravity, trying to pull him down, trying to pull his peace. The second person I have to bring up is Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is the best basketball player of all time. That's not an opinion. That's a fact. And, And Michael Jordan would have this amazing ability to defy gravity. He'd jump and he would just float. It would be in his right hand and then he'd put it in his left hand. He'd stick his tongue out. He dunked on Matumbo and gave him the wag. He, he had this ability to defy gravity. That's why we love Michael Jordan. The, the symbol is the jump man. And, and when they were trying to sell the Jordan 5s, Spike Lee, Mars Blackman, he, he had this, this commercial. And he said, Mike, is it the diet? And he said, no. He said, Mike, is it the haircut? And he said, no. He says. Mike, it's got to be the shoes. It's got to be the shoes that allows you to defy gravity. In the gospel, it really is the shoes. In the gospel, for us, it's the shoes. We have peace with God. We have peace with God. It's the shoes. What peace does the, the peace of God, what that does is it produces joy, a joy that's deep. It's a well that we draw from. And all that joy is is comparing our circumstances with the eternal. That as we're in trials, it's a light, momentary affliction compared to eternity with God. We have peace, peace of God. Shoes, we're ready. We have joy. We have a grip on our life because we have peace with God. It's the shoes. Paul continues in verse 16, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. A shield is meant to take suffering. A shield, it takes the heavy blows from the sword. A a shield stops the arrows. It's meant to take suffering. And as Christians, we are to take up the shield. We are to actively take up suffering, is what Paul is saying. How do we healthily, 
healthily take up suffering. We do that by disciplining ourselves. Discipline is is controlled suffering. If you're at men's Bible study at 6 a.m., that's that's discipline. You're saying, I'm not going to give up the the 90 or I'm not going to stay in bed for 90 minutes and be comfortable. I'm going to get up and be there. I'm going to suffer. Our wrestling coach would always say, suffer now, suffer now. Because when you get used to suffering, when you go through suffering, it will be different because you're used to it. You've built it up. You've built up your suffering muscles. Take up the shield of faith. Take up suffering. Take up discipline. In Hebrews, the writer writes that God's a good father who's going to discipline his sons. Every good father in here knows that you disciplined your children. And Paul writes this so perfectly in this text that as we take up the shield of faith, as we're disciplined, we take up suffering, that it would extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You're going to go through fiery trials. It's not if, but when. And when you do, have you been taking up the shield of faith? Because when you do take up the shield of faith, you'll know what's happening in that trial. You'll know why you're going through that trial. Because there's two purposes to every trial in your life. Every fiery trial you go through, there is two purposes. The devil wants every fiery trial in your life to leave you burned. That you would burn bridges, that you'd be burned by someone. I hear it all the time. Someone said was burned by the church or, or they're burned by their friends and we burn bridges because the devil wants us to be burned. That's his purpose in every trial of our life. But Paul knows the fire of God. Paul knows that when God puts a fiery trial in our life, it's not a fire that burns us, but it's a fire that refines us. This is a refining fire meant to mold us and to shape us, to change our direction, to sanctify us, to purify us, to get rid of impurity. This is a refiner's fire. And we are to take up the shield of faith and discipline that we would know what that feels like. We'd be people accustomed to suffering. And Paul continues to say to put on the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. This is assured security that our foundation is not in ourselves, but in Christ, and that Christ has saved us from death to life. We were in darkness, but now we're in life. And I put on that helmet of salvation, I'm secure. It gives my faith solid ground to walk on. It's my surety. The helmet of salvation, your salvation is meant to deal against doubts in your mind. I am saved. Christ paid it all for me. I put on the helmet of salvation. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Romans 1.8, you are justified, made right before God. Surety. Then Paul writes in verse 17, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. When I was coaching uh, my kids, I'd always tell them, Your best defense is a good offense. Your best defense is a good offense. A sword can be used defensively, but can also be used offensively. And your 
best defense is a good offense. So I, 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 I try not to watch basketball because the last minute of basketball is like 45 minutes. It's ridiculous. And I was watching these teams, and it's like the last minute, you have like LeBron James, and you have Steph Curry and these guys, and they're up by like six points. And this other team from like Milwaukee or something, they think they're in the game. They're like, oh, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, we're, we're right in this game. And then Steph Curry shoots a three-pointer from the logo, and all of a sudden they're up by nine, and they call it the dagger. That's it. And this team was trying so hard, and then they just give up. Because there's 45 seconds left, they just give up. That's the dagger. That's what we have against Satan in the word of God. We can put a dagger in the lies in our hearts. And he would stop the fighting. The most powerful weapon we have against God is just saying, or against the, against, against the devil, is saying, it is written and follow it up with scripture. It is written and follow it up with scripture. That's the dagger in the lies of Satan. We know Jesus did this when he was tempted by Satan. The devil tempts Jesus and, and says, if you're the son of God, turn this, turn this stone into, into, into bread. And Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. He fights the, 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 the devil with scripture. And, and, and not just Jesus. Paul, who was, sometimes we think Paul... Paul writes this letter, Paul might be all high and mighty. I love, in Acts 23, Paul's a human just like the rest of us. Paul, human just like the rest of us. Paul is being arrested, and the high priest slaps him. And, and Paul looks at him and says, he says, you whitewashed wall. And the people come up to him and say, that's the high priest. You can't speak to him like that. And Paul applies scripture right in that moment. He says, I'm sorry. For it is written, you should not. Speak evil against a ruler that God has appointed. Could you imagine if we fought the lies in our hearts by applying scripture? Could you imagine if we took what was written in Exodus and apply it today when we speak about our president, when we speak about our governors, when we speak about our rulers? No, it is written. We put a dagger in the present darkness. We put a dagger in the schemes of Satan. Paul writes then after this, he so uniquely weaves together the sword of the spirit and then continuing in verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. As Paul is saying, the, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. He says that we be a people who are constantly praying in the spirit, that we be walking in the spirit, that we be a people known for word and prayer, word and prayer, word and prayer. Do you, do you know how to read your Bible? Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Do you have a relationship with God? Do you communicate with him? Are we people of word and prayer? That's what I pray our church would be, that individually we be people who get up and get into God's word and we be praying. And then with our spiritual friends, as in, our, in our discipleship groups, our discipleship groups and our spiritual friendships would be known as people who are known of word and prayer. And corporately, as we come together, Paul says, with all the saints, 
Do not neglect to gather. Come together. Because with all the saints, that we would be a people known for word and prayer. As we praise God in the Spirit, as we read God's Word, as we're praying, as we're praying in the Spirit, we do what the Spirit leads us to do, and what the Spirit leads us to do is glorify the Son. What the Spirit does is opens our eyes to what Jesus has done for us. He makes it real to us. He, he says in the book of Galatians, he says, Galatians, who bewitched you? You saw Christ crucified. The, the Galatians didn't see Christ crucified, but when you're opened when your eyes are opened by the Spirit, it's real to you, as if it was on audio and it became video, that Christ has been crucified for you. John 16, 14 says this, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, the Son, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Are we people of word and prayer? Are we people who are known for God convicting us, for God strengthening us, for God confronting us, for God teaching us? Are we people known as people who are wrestling, engaging in deep thought? Are we people by the Spirit are coming under the word of God? If you're wrestling today, it's a good sign because dead men don't wrestle. Dead men don't wrestle. Remember in Ephesians 8, Paul said, you were darkness. And so as we look at the whole armor of God, this isn't Jesus on your side. This isn't Jesus' juice. This ain't Jesus on your side. This is us submitting to the king of the army of light and his will. This is submission to the king I think of Gladiator and Braveheart and these, these guys who give these, these messages to their troops and they just say charge and they go and they go out into warfare and God has given us his word and we are to pull it in and bring it in. And as we go out into warfare, it's as if the king lives within us. His very presence is moving in us out into warfare. In Joshua 5 Joshua sees the commander of the army of the Lord. And he says, who are you for? Are you for us or are you for them? And he says, no. No, you got it very wrong. I'm here. This is my fight. And Joshua humbly submits his will. He falls with his face on the ground. He removes his sandals because he knows he's on holy ground. Putting on the armor of God is submitting to God and his will. Submitting to what he has for us in all things. That as we wrestle with God, we'd submit to his will. We'd be changed like Jacob. Our identities would be changed. We'd be soldiers in the army of light. And you know what that means in this world? We might walk a little different. But we'll walk in the light. Wrestle. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You are holy. You are mighty. And God, I pray we just submit to that. I pray that your spirit would stir in us, that we be convicted, that we be strengthened. And God, I pray that we'd move out as, as soldiers, ready for war, ready for battles, but we'd be people known as a people with peace. 
and the people struggling within the lives in our own hearts. Let us be humble. Let us walk in your truth. Jesus, thank you for all that you have done for us. Let us walk in the confidence, knowing that you've paid the price. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.